Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm thrilled you're here as we discuss the impact, importance, and cultural relevance of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, and I'm joined today by Jen McNeely, who's the founder and editor-in-chief of She Does the City. Uh, Jen has lived in Toronto her entire life, minus the four years where she completed a specialization in communication studies at Concordia University in Montreal. Before launching She Does the City, Jen worked in publicity and marketing at Much Music, Alliance Films, and CBC Television. Since the fall of 2007, she has dedicated her life to creating a site for young Canadian women that promotes female entrepreneurship, thought-provoking culture, and shares honest stories that, hopefully, inspires readers to take risks and enjoy a full and adventurous life. She has also written for Toronto Life, Fashion Magazine Now, and The Globe and Mail, and I am so thrilled that you're here joining us at Fashion Talks today. Thanks for being here, Jen. Thank you, Donna. So before we get into our discussion about cities and style, I wondered if you could just take a moment to share um, a moment in your life where, I like to say fashion changed your life, but that might be overstating it a little bit, like a moment where fashion had relevance to you or kind of you noticed that fashion had uh, an impact on you some somehow. So for example, um, I know that I was really aware of fashion when I was in grade one, and I decided I was no longer wearing dresses, and I was only wear, going to wear pants, and this was somewhat controversial amongst all the other little girls. Yeah. <laughs> when you first asked that question, I, start, I my the thing that popped into my head first was when I was sort of 19 and moving out of the city and trying to figure out who I was as a person, um, and I think that's when you really start to pick your clothes carefully when you're trying to like who do I want to be now that I'm like away from my family away from the bubble that I grew up in nobody knows me what's the impression that I want to make on the world Uh, so I think that's when I started really getting more into fashion but when you mention sort of childhood uh, definitely when I noticed something different would have been when I was introduced to Madonna. And that was, I think my dad brought, bought me a tape back in... Your dad introduced yeah. you to Madonna? I love that. I know. He took me <laughs> to a concert in 89. Uh, I went with a girlfriend of mine and her dad as well. And I think we were sort of, you know, sitting on their shoulders and um, they had to kind of c- cover our eyes during some parts because yeah. <laughs> uh, it was so provocative. But th- I really noticed uh, her her outfits and, you know, like, who wouldn't? I mean, she had the cone brassiere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, I I think I emulated her at Halloween, sort of wanted to be that punky 1980s look with the the jean jacket and the... what the safety pins everywhere oh, totally, and yeah. bits of neon and um so I think that's probably where I first maybe noticed fashion but when I really started to consider my purchases and how I wanted to you know stand out in the world it was when I was going to university very cool that's an interesting point about awareness pre-purchasing of clothing that's a whole new topic yeah. we'll dive into another time. So can you give us a bit of background about She Does the City, like why you started it, how it has taken you around the world, that sort of thing? Well, I started it for many reasons, um, but I guess what makes sense in, in the context of this interview is that I always loved 
observing uh, life around me in Toronto and I really wanted to write about it through um, the perspective of a 20-something at the time, this is 10 years ago, um, young woman and I felt that in Toronto and in, in, in Canada at that time we were lacking something in Canadian media, a voice that felt authentic, that felt sort of that I was talking to my friends mm-hmm. um, now, it's a very different story now, but but then in 2007, it felt like all uh, women's media was sugar-coated. It was a little softer, and it didn't, you know, it didn't um, resonate with me. Right. It was lacking edge. It was lacking... Um, a little bit of honesty. Yeah, honesty. Maybe. It was lacking. Um, and uh, so I had been working at the CBC and really the internet <laughs> at that time was you know everybody started talking about it as a as a new competitive um media landscape mm-hmm. and before like it had been around but it wasn't really something that was a concern in terms of ad dollars shifting and so when i was there i began to realize that there was potential in this new um space and uh so and I had the confidence from you know work that I was doing there so it just felt the timing was right really way to be ahead of the curve Jen (laughs) (laughs) so as you're observing cities with she does the city I imagine fashion is something that you can't help but take in as you're as you're writing yeah and it's um I mean, yeah, fashion, mannerisms, just overall vibe. I, I love listening in on conversations. <laughs> you know, just uh, culture. I like culture and just seeing how um, how it how it changes based on politics, uh, economics, um, and. Uh, when you first reached out to me about this interview, I was in New York at the time, and uh, I think I read the email when I was sort of crossing Union Square, mm-hmm. and I stopped, and I was like, what is the style of New York? You know, like, what what can I see around me that is quintessentially New York fashion? Um, and what did you notice? Like, how did you process that? Well, you know what? It's really hard. So when I look around, and it's the same, if you, I think if you sort of plop yourself down into the middle of a city and try to identify a uniform, it's very, very tricky because obviously you're, there's like a cross-section of people from all backgrounds and all different kinds of scenes. So it's, I, I think it's almost impossible to nail a, a fashion look when you just sort of plop down. But when you start to um, try to identify words that describe a mood or a um, a feeling that you get from a city or, you know, what you maybe identify as the pulse, then you start to kind of pick words. And then when you you kind of have a bit of a vocabulary to describe a city, then you can see how accessories or... Uh, fashion mimic that. I love that. So, you know, we're talking about New York, I think, because New York is an iconic city, certainly for us as Torontonians and having a very, you know, Western point of view for right now. Um, so how did you start to unpack that for New York? Like what do what were some of the words that you felt described the pulse and how do you layer that on top of what you observed fashion wise? So New York, I think, has always been a city of hustle and grit and survival. Um, it's edgy. And um, I, when you think of sort of 
elements of fashion that fit that. You think of like a black leather jacket, that's sort of the tough uniform um, uh, chucks on your shoes, denim, like denim, distressed denim. Um, And I think, you know, when you're in New York, especially when you're, you know, they've got big towers around you, you're moving fast through the city, you really kind of put on... um, a kind of costume that is like, don't mess with me. I'm moving. You know, like I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting stuff done. Yeah, like, there's I'm, nothing fragile. Yeah, about it. Yeah, which I think is so um, interesting because that hustle has always been a part of New York. Like New York was founded by people that were moving there to start a new world and to survive. You had to hustle, and now it's become a bastion of business and entertainment and arts and culture. And to make it there, to make it there, you can make it anywhere. You know, yeah. that's the nature of of the of the song, right? So, having that uh, lack of fragility. Is it strikes me as such a part of the DNA of, of a New Yorker themselves. Yeah, and it's not to say that, you know, you can't wear a floral dress no. in Manhattan, yeah. <laughs> but it's just that if you f- try to find um, fashion that really speaks to that city, I think you're going to end up with, like, a, a darker palette um, and, like, hardware, just stuff that is uh, tougher and edgier. The lines, even, you know, the, the way that the cuts... Well, and the architecture and just the the way the city's laid out is so linear mm-hmm. as well, right? Yeah. So I find it interesting that that observation about apparel can also be seen in the in the very makeup of the of the buildings yeah. themselves. Now, you've been going back and forth to New York, you lucky girl, quite a bit. So, have you noticed that shift like of any I'm thinking of, you know, the economic crash in 2009. Is there anything you noticed before that that shifted well, afterwards, I actually really noticed that in Toronto. So f- since we started, we've been doing, we've been uh, chronicling street style through different photographers on the site. And when you look back to 2000, 2008, um, really fashion was so bright and so like neon colors. There was sort of a throwback to the 80s. Um, they're outlandish like patterns and um, really zany and colorful. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if if I were to compare that to what we see today, like if we were going to, if we were taking photos at Queen and Ossington in 2007 and we were comparing it to Queen and Ossington uh, 2017, you would see now a lot more um, of a grayscale kind of uh colors you would mm-hmm. see um um a lot more androgynous kind of fashion uh you would uh, it's definitely darker times that right. we're living in and um and i you know if we were and i something i would like to do is to have a, an exhibit where we blow up like pictures from the different years i don't know if that'll ever come to fruition but <laughs> i think you really do notice that the t- that the and it's not to say again that like people aren't going to wear like pops of colors in spring absolutely, and pastels come out, but it, the overall, if you were to make overall kind of observations, you definitely see that um, we're wearing a lot more black, gray, neutral palette than we were then, and it's um, like 
and I and I feel like a lot of the fashion is almost like uh, don't look at me versus back then it was like look at me well and that reminds me of in the 1920s when hemlines went up because you know it was the roaring 20s there was a lot of affluence and so people could show off women would show off their silk stockings and then when the stock market crashed and more somber times to put it mildly um entered, hemlengths went down because people either didn't want to show off that they still had their silk stockings or no one wanted to admit that they could no longer afford them anymore. So I think we've we've seen historically how the economy impacts generally, again, mm-hmm. um, certain styles or trends or generalizations sure. in, in how cities and how cities dress. Yeah. One thing I have noticed in Toronto is that we have a lot more... Um, uh, pride these days. We wear our city on our clothing. And, and to think that people would be doing that in 10 years ago, 15 years ago, would really be you know, a strange idea. Like we would it, not be wearing... Um, what is it? What is it? Everyone wears like Toronto is community or Toronto. I oh yeah, Toronto, and the Toronto like the we the north yeah. and Toronto is everyone. Yeah, like the slogan T shirt. Even the and... Blue Jay stuff. Like, I mean, maybe back in like ninety two and I three when we were doing really well in the World Series, but there was a dip. We were not, like, you didn't brag about Toronto, you know, in the same way. And and now it's like a very cool factor to wear that pride on your sleeve. It's totally true. I'm thinking also of the uh, the local business tuck shop that kind Mm -hmm, of, you know, made a name for itself doing neighborhood embossed, you know, toques and t-shirts and stuff like that. So, you know, I think Toronto is definitely having a bit of a moment for itself, Canada in general, but, you know, we're sitting here in in Toronto. And that's nice to see because we are so close to the States and New York is, you know, we sit in the shadow of New York so often that it's easy to get influenced by the the pulse of our neighbor. We have the same, we have a a hustle like New York, but we, it's not as extreme, Um, but it's getting there because, you know, real estate prices are, totally insane right now so um but yeah if you if you when I lived in Montreal and even when I go back to Montreal you drop into that city and the feeling is different than Toronto Toronto you feel like a bit it's a rat race right yeah especially downtown um even just like getting up an escalator is like more of a it's like a it's it's more competitive there's work yeah there's There's work (laughs) and in Montreal you know people they have a joie de vivre that we do not have and um an overall sort of joie de vivre and uh you feel that difference um so Toronto is you know I I think sort of back to your question about New York like we do mimic a lot but we are we are also really I think in a in a space where we are figuring out our own identity Mm -hmm. and there's so many cool things that are being born in Toronto whether it's like you know we have such a rich music scene and we even in the last 10 years like our our major cultural spaces have you know when you look at OCAD um the AGO ROM they've all had major architectural uh transformation you know, in the four seasons yeah. center for the opera and the ballet yeah, like. even right right where we're sitting right now Ryerson like there's in money that has gone into our institutions in in terms of architecture that it's giving us um more of an identity you know or, or we have more interesting buildings to look at absolutely know? I want to get back to Montreal in a second but before we go there something when we were talking about the hustle of of New York and Toronto the other thing that I was thinking of is how in Toronto and New York I think we uh 
we don't take breaks bef- between the different phases of our day. Like we get up and dress in the morning for work, for after dinner drinks, for maybe going out for lunch. Like our 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 outfit for the day takes us all the way through. There isn't that like, oh, if I'm going out after work, I'm going to go home and quickly right. change. Like, you know, we've seen articles written about how to transfer from day to night in yeah. the bathroom of the office yeah. building practically. And I think that also translates into how we dress in these cities Mm -hmm. like that hustle has to take us into the possibility of social engagements after work engagements as well yeah it's true and I think when you were saying that one thing that I thought of was again like 10-15 years ago the idea of wearing running shoes to work was like in fashion no no oh for sure and thank you casual Fridays yeah (laughs) but but now it's like sneakers there's such a rebirth of of sneakers as fashion absolutely and um so you see a lot of like you can dress them up or you can you can find a way to to incorporate that into your work outfit in a completely stylish way absolutely um so I don't know if like that's a reflection of trying to figure out ways to you know have fashion that fits all parts of life Mm -hmm, mm um but uh Certainly then I think that in terms of the times, like there was sort of you would have like a bag with other stuff to kind of wear after after work or something. Well, and when you were talking about sneakers, I couldn't help but envision, you know, the late 80s with Working Girl and, right. you know, people <laughs> with their trainers yeah. and their outfits, you know, pounding the pavement. And now, you know, maybe that hustle still exists, but we're finding more comfortable and more fashionable ways to you know, have that utilitarian, yeah. uh, I got to get where I'm going, I got to be there, yeah. I got to push harder, you know, that sort of philosophy. And the idea that, you know, a lot of people don't love how athletic leisure has come into the fashion forefront. Oh, you know, yeah. But, but <laughs> that's a that's, whole other podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it is, but that's definitely something that you see nowadays that you didn't, you know, back then. I think also, you know, when we're talking about New York, we're talking about 10 years ago, we're talking about after work stuff. Sex in the City was hugely impactful on, on the outfit change, right? And um, maybe it's because we're in living in times right now where there is, you know, so much more political upheaval and it seems like there's a lot more important things to to care about so maybe that has an effect on the fact that we're 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 worrying less about our Senka set outfit sort of thing and just more on I think that is totally possible yeah being like you know people who are out to do something to help the world or make an impact yeah, we have better we have better things to worry about than changing our outfit and, from. And we have to worry day about more things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> putting it mildly. Yeah. When you were talking about Montreal and the joie de vivre that you experienced there, I couldn't help think of Paris and right. maybe like is is Montreal more Parisian than it is New York? Yeah, in many ways. What do you think? Definitely, I think that. Um, you know, when you think of France as a whole, people shut down from like 11 till 2 or something like a, a huge stretch in the middle of the day. Maybe not in central Paris, but certainly if you go down south, like they take off a huge chunk for for lunch and, uh, you know, uncork a bottle of wine, like put out full, you know, have a hot meal, beautiful yeah. meal. Um, the kids do it too in school. And... Um, that is, uh, 
you know, I think in Montreal, there is the same sense of, um, you know, just make time for the important things in life that bring you joy, that bring you together with your friends and family for pleasure, you know? It's like a sense of pause, like yeah. embrace the pause somehow. Yes. And, and I think Montreal definitely does that way more than Toronto. And, uh, you know, some people suit it more and some people don't. I know that when I was there, I felt like, my rhythm didn't match Montreal's. Right. I needed to... I felt that way in Vancouver. I needed to come back to Toronto because my rhythm was in sync Mm -hmm. here. Not to say that I don't think we should all be, you know, putting a little bit more um, importance and value on, on... leisure time whether it's vacations or just finding that time in the day because like the running and grabbing and going and fast food and you know granola bar in your pocket is really not a great way to to live we eat more in our cars than at tables or something ridiculous like that so i think we could all learn from each other's cultures and and finding like a nice balance um where was i with this but yeah so france and yeah definitely montreal has a lot of that um influence from that style that comes from France, which I think is uh, more relaxed and elegant and um, just uh, less, what's the, like, it's not as hustle and it's more just like, stay a while, you know, just relax, like have a drink, like sit down and... Well, and when you, when I think of some of the designers from Montreal, um, I think of, you know, I think of Untitled, I think of um, Marie St. Pierre, and there's like a, there's a draping, there's a construction, not to say that, you know, obviously all designers from all cities are focused on construction, but I just feel like there is a, I don't know whether it's a, it's a softness or a, or a sense of risk or, you know, trying to do things a little bit differently. Please don't call in and say that we're like marginalizing <laughs> other designers. We're just having a, a discussion about, yeah. you know, generalizing. But like, do we see a little bit more of that Parisian, like so much of fashion, a obviously. maybe. Yeah. A sexiness and um, an elegance uh, versus a cool edginess. Yes. I, I don't know. It's hard to, it's really hard to make those statements. But when I actually was sitting down and I was looking at like the four cities and comparing everything and, you know, if you look at some of the style icons of Paris, um, like Bridget Bardot and Catherine Deneuve, um, there's a, um, I would say that they're sort of sexy and elegant. And yeah. Like have a, a very feminine uh, side and then if you look at sort of icons in in New York I, people who come to mind right away are like Patti Smith Debbie Harry and you get like it's like an edge yeah you know? like there's a a, um, a roughness that yeah. comes with and it. almost like a rupture like yeah. a breaking something open and shifting yeah. something yeah and um like punk and rebellion right yeah. and um in France, I feel like the style icons have more, you know, if I would to choose words, it's more like, um, yeah, classic, elegant, um, provocative. Yeah, which I think makes sense since so much of Western fashion was born 
in Paris, like mm-hmm. Chanel, Dior, Yves Saint Laurent, like, you know, Chanel influenced everything from being the first to, you know, take the Breton stripe that had been a sailor staple and put it in a nautical collection for for her for her um, atelier and the little black dress and costume jewelry mm-hmm. in World War One, like so many of these things, which we think of as classic started in Paris, even you know, Yves Saint Laurent did the the le smoking, the you know, female uh, tuxedo, right. yeah. which I think we could say is where the the boyfriend jacket mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which has become such a part of I know my uniform in terms right. of you know being here in Toronto and stuff like that. When you were talking about that, so with with Chanel, I feel like um, one of the things that I when I was thinking about this topic over the weekend, I was reading some articles and I think one blog post that came up and I can't remember where it was from was talking about how in France there is um, people in gen, like whether you're in fashion or you're, you know, work in grocery store or whatever your job is, there's an overall, um, when you wake up in the morning, you do your best to sort of look polished and be fashionable yeah and I think that definitely that is something that we can see a reper- like a um, a ripple effect in Montreal you know I think in Montreal society as a whole puts a little bit more effort into being fashionable um, doesn't matter whether you're in the industry or not and again mm-hmm. like again this is a very big I know. statement <laughs> yeah we appreciate we're making very sweeping yeah, statements but, but you know observing these things I think you can start to see yeah, and like generalizations like, that make sense. For a long time, I would say that, you know, Montrealers would look at Toronto and be like, no style, you know? Like, yeah. That was definitely like, Toronto does not have a style. In Toronto, I think if you look at the city as a whole, and it is changing, but people who care about fashion will, there's there's a, a broader um, part of the population that maybe just isn't as into fashion uh, the same way that Montreal as a city, as a population is. Yes. Well, I don't know if I'm articulating this well, but like, uh, yeah, I think that in France, it's like everybody, doesn't matter who you are. And that's something that that, uh, Coco Chanel was all about. You know, it wasn't about having money. It was about having style. And that, you know, it it doesn't, it's not the, the outfit that the woman is wearing, but the woman, what she projects, right? Absolutely. And I think, that Paris has, you know, if we were talking about New York as being incredibly line- linear in terms of its architecture and, and the way the city's laid out, there is a uh, a meandering to Paris, like the Eiffel Tower, even though it is this obviously like overbearing, rigid um, piece of architecture, uh, it has like the mesh detailing, right. you know, the architecture has more detail to it than the, you know, more modernist skyscrapers and whatnot that we see. Yeah, in. like everywhere you go in Paris, you're going to see history. You're going to see some of the great, um, in, you know, um, artists that are uh, reflected in the architecture and in, the, I mean, there's galleries everywhere. You cannot walk much in Paris without being, you know, steeped in the richness of the culture from eras before. Absolutely. You know? And that definitely, I think, you know, how it is how it comes out in fashion is hard to articulate, but I I think there's just an, a general appreciation for beauty, right? Yeah. Um, and um, well, that beauty is interesting because I think maybe there is like fashion and beauty 
for beauty's sake as opposed to trying to incorporate beauty into more utilitarian pieces might be a way to kind of generalize a bit of a difference between those two cities in many ways. Yeah, <laughs> being it's New hard. York and Paris. Yeah. I know we're gonna. This well, the one controversy that, will the one like thing rain. That we, we were talking about was how you know the scarf is such a you know a, a Parisian thing, like having a draping your body with something a little bit softer. You yeah. Know? Um, and I'm losing my train of thought here because it's like oh, we're all over the place. But um, well, and we haven't even touched on the impact of climate, which is obviously right. an obvious and important factor. Yeah. In terms of how how that just gets layered on top of everything. Yeah. But the scarf is interesting. I mean, Hermes is one of the you know quintessential yeah you know designers of of the scarf and how it is a piece of. When I think of the French scarf, I don't think of it as utilitarian. I think of it as ornamentation. And when I think of wearing a scarf in New York or Toronto, I think of wearing it clearly because I'm chilled or I I need to have it for some sort of practical purpose as opposed to it just being an accessory I would put on like a necklace or a bangle or something like that. Yeah. And then there's London. Yeah. which we chatted a little yeah. bit about. And, you know, you had some interesting thought about the things that influence London style. Yes. So, I mean, I think when we think of, when I think of London, I think of, um, you know, the mod era. I think of punk. And then I think of um, nowadays what's different from, what differentiates, differentiates London from New York, Paris, Toronto is that they still have a royal family in the backdrop totally right and that is um i think you get uh when when i walk around london i feel like when i go through different neighborhoods that it's like i'm walking in a posh neighborhood there's a much more of a class society there yeah and um and that and and you see that in the reflection of fashion you see like kind of very tailored suits that you know Kate Middleton is wearing yeah um I know she wears a lot of Smythe from Canada um and uh then you have that sort of uh punk kind of rebellion as well um that's always I feel like London's always had that um well, there's a working class energy, like yeah. there's a rupture there, you know, with Doc Martens and bomber jackets. And yeah, that has always been kind of a part of their DNA yeah. as well, which is such a stark contrast to the fascinators and the, the poshness. Yeah. And when you start to think of like what when you, you know, outfits for cities, I think the easiest way to define it is when you start to think, well, what doesn't fit in a city? And so I was thinking of London when you when you kind of get outside of London and you get get into sort of rolling hills and um, those estates outside of the city, then you start to see like tweed and, you know, different kinds and wellies. Of, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and then when you think of Manhattan and you think of like what fits in the city, what doesn't or how do we pack when we when when people are going to the Hamptons? let's say and it's like the that changes the the fashion and the style because the mood it changes with the landscape and with you know what whether you're you know you're you're leaving your work life and you're going to have a leisure time with friends and family absolutely um, absolutely in Toronto we have Toronto and then you get outside the city and we're going to cottage country and whatever then you get more like I think of plaid and I think of 
Um, you know, flannel and yeah, exactly. things that are a little more distressed. Yeah. Um, as we're talking about London and things that are kind of quintessential, you know, I was uh, fell down the rabbit hole of looking at all the images of Pippa Middleton's wedding this, mm-hmm. past, this yeah. past weekend. And the fascinator is such a British accessory, I mm-hmm. feel like the I'm always mesmerized by the uh, scope of styles like some of them had like huge plumes coming out Mm. the top and that that's something I so associate with London I don't feel like when you look at even posh weddings in other major cities like it looks goofy it looks so bizarre (laughs) but I think that's that is that royal influence it is I think that that that, that's you know those fascinators is um, a marking of a certain kind of echelon of society Mm -hmm. that um I don't think we have that in Toronto. Like, I mean, we don't yeah. have the same sort of uh, accessories that will um, identify whether you're from. Yeah, we don't need that signifier, no. yeah. right? And that's like that's part of the clothing as social document. Like, mm-hmm. the fascinator is just an awesome example of that to me mm-hmm. because it's such an impo- it, it is such a clear symbol of a very specific class and region and um, and statement. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the history of it, so I would love to unpack like how the fascinator came about out of you know yeah. hat making and stuff like that. I actually don't know. I'm going to look into that, but. It's so quintessentially upper crust British mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. or incredibly stylish British as yeah. well. When I think of it, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, when we th- in for some reason I'm moving to New York again, and it's like I'm thinking about the hip hop influence there, which is like oh, so which is so and, different and he- so influential for yeah, sure. So you know, that's um, something that you would ne- I don't ever think of like hip-hop in Paris or you know influence influencing mm-hmm. style over there and of course like there are there are um um not to say that there aren't hip-hop artists out of Paris For or sure. London but um that uh movement in New York has been extremely important in shaping style there as well well and I think to that point when something is the birthplace yeah. of a movement, yeah. it influences the DNA of the city. Like and what- Drake here, right? Like so, totally. I think now that we're seeing, like, when we go back to the sneaker thing, it's like yeah. finding that that sort of um, luxe hip hop look as well is sort of something that's very down at Queen and Ossington now versus maybe ten years ago. You weren't seeing that as much. Totally. And, um, so. Yeah, it's. I think what will be interesting is in 20 years from now, looking at wh- where Toronto style is then, because I think in these big cities, it's only going to get more interesting because our population demographics are shifting so incredibly. All the time. Yeah. yeah. And so where we were back in like 1970s Toronto, maybe boring would be a word that was used to describe Toronto in the 1970s. I don't know. I mean, yeah. like... Um, we have so much more richness to our culture now, I think. I think so, too. Yeah. I think so, too. Um, so I'll look forward to the retrospective yeah, of <laughs> Toronto from She Does the City. Um, Jen, thank you so, so much for the for the conversation. It's this really has been a really I, juicy yeah, discussion. I feel like I want to keep diving into it. I know. There's so much more to explore. Well, before we say goodbye, um, I just wanted to ask you how I like to close off uh, the podcast. If you had to wear one outfit for the rest of your life, 
climate notwithstanding, Mm -hmm. what would you wear? Probably something similar to what I'm wearing right now, but a little bit nicer. Um, (laughs) Black leather jacket. I always sort of, yeah, that's my staple. My black leather jacket. And this is from Canadian designer line. Um, Love line. Yeah. And uh, probably just like jeans that fit me well, flats that I can walk. I, I always need shoes that I can walk, you know, miles and miles and miles without hurting my feet. And a little bit of hardware that makes me feel edgy even maybe if I'm not <laughs> nice <laughs> even if we're not feeling a little yeah. edgy it's nice to look a little edgy well thank you so so much again and if people want to find she does the city it's she does the city.com yeah. and if they want to follow you where can they it's find just, you uh, at she does the city on all platforms excellent and you can follow me at this is Donna B and of course we want to say thank you to CAFA our partner with this podcast and you can find more about the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards at at CAFA that's C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S and thanks also to our amazing sound engineer Paolo Fergueli and I hope you enjoyed today's episode if you did please tell people it really helps get the word out there and if you feel so inclined to give us a high five rate us on iTunes that would be amazing until next time this is Donna Bishop at Fashion Talks